Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 25 We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, it's a red October, but can I ask you, uh, did you think that the Flyers would be in first place at any point this season? Yeah, this is totally predictable. You're, how much? How much time are you gonna you're gonna spend on the Flyers right now? The only time I'm going to spend is the amount of time that you answer this question. Okay. Well, look, they're three and one. They're first place in the conference, and uh, you couldn't have expected it. You should be happy if you're a Flyers fan. I told you all I want is people to be interested in the team again. I want them to be relevant, and hopefully, you know, getting off to a good start would do that. The team is that is relevant is is the Phillies. Uh, a little bit different feeling before last night's game, uh, now 2-1 in the series. Let's see, we got a jam-packed show. We got Doug Glanville coming up, got Greg Dobbs coming up. But let me go to my expert across from me at the mic, Jeff Cohen, for your initial thoughts before we get to Doug. If Greg Kimbrell sees one more inning, one more pitch in this series, I, I look, I, I believe I sent you a text as soon as he came in before anything happened that if they lose and do not win the World Series, it will fall on using Craig Kimbrell. I don't want to overreact to what happened. How do you you not overreact? It it wasn't just that he walked the first batter. It was completely predictable, that whole scenario. But, But the fact that he will not, that he refuses to hold a runner on in a tie game or that he doesn't adjust to the pitch clock where JT has to run out with one second left. So they don't get a balk when it's a three, two count. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it is, it was maddening to watch the bats went silent yesterday in Arizona. We'll get to that with, with Doug. Um, You know, you got to hope tonight they, they bounce back. You got a great outing from Ranger. I mean, you couldn't have you asked did. for anything more from from Ranger Suarez. I never really thought that Ranger and uh, who was it, Sandy Koufax, would be listed in the same sentence. But Ranger's ERA is point nine four in his first eight postseason starts. That's, well, remember, it wasn't just the starts. Ranger has done well in relief too. Absolutely. Wherever you have put Ranger, Ranger has excelled in the playoffs. Yeah, he's, and he's he just he has this confidence about him, like he just comes in and he's got like a smirk, like I got gotcha. you. Why don't we wait there? We'll talk more about it as we bring on our guests to get into it all. We love getting some time with broadcaster, po- podcaster, professor, former Philly on radio calls. You name it, Doug Glanville. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Enjoying the enjoying the ride here that the postseason puts us on. So, um, yep, doing well. Talk a little bit about that for us. You're you're calling games. You're you're traveling to be doing studio for the next series. What's this time of year like for you as somebody who used to play that now has to prepare differently but still get up for this? <laughs> well, I, right now the travel is kind of like playing. I mean, I uh, you know I always tell my wife uh, October first. I was like, I'll see you in November. Uh, so that's kind of how it rolls. I mean, we're just uh, on the road the whole time. And, um, you know, I try to get home whenever I can. A couple times, like, a series ends up quickly. As a sweep, I just, like, slide to the house and I'm able to get back. But um, but it's a lot of prep, and I like it. I mean, it's research that I dig deep and try to find out not only the statistical base, you know, basis for how to describe player and performance in the season, 
but also the storytelling aspects, you know, talking to players uh, pre before the game and just getting a sense by just sitting with managers. Uh, that part's really fun because most of the time when I go to these games, it's like a family reunion, really. I'm, I'm generations of players, some of which I was a fan of growing up, and we're, we're all kind of in the same place, all trying to celebrate the sport and tell the stories of the game. And uh, so I, I enjoy that a lot. And uh, But, yeah, it's busy, a lot of travel, time zones, you know, Phoenix, <laughs> Philadelphia. Uh, but, you know, then all of a sudden, cold turkey, it's like, boom, season ends, and then you're in your off season. You know, you talked about the, being an alumni. You're an alumni of the Phillies. It seems like the the this Phillies team is is a very cohesive, fun group. How important is it to have that kind of locker room for the success? We, we all know that you know talent is supposed to be what wins, but in a team sport, especially like baseball, it seems like the teams that have that cohesive unit. It makes Go a difference, it. certainly. Yeah, it, it certainly makes a difference. I mean, we talked to Rob Thompson before a lot of the games of the Phillies, and he said that a lot of times about how fun this group is, how much he enjoys going to the park. I mean, it definitely, you know, is that X factor because you want to enjoy your job. You want to enjoy people that you're around all the time. And uh, I don't think it's a prerequisite to say you have to win. I mean, there's teams that definitely have, you know, guys that not, didn't necessarily get along. Uh, but they respect what each other's role is for the team. They still are able to elevate team above self, even if there's personal one-on-one -on -one challenges along the way. Uh, but there's no doubt it makes it more enjoyable when you have so many games and you're traveling so much and you're seeing these guys all the time that it helps that you get along really well. And, um, and it's just, just having fun because it just makes the season uh, not only go by quickly, but go by in a way that you it's memorable, it's enjoyable. And you feel like, you know, you have the energy, right, to get through all the grind. Phillies are still up 2-1 in the series. Obviously, yesterday's game, very different than the first two in Philadelphia. Talk about what you've seen, uh, both in the atmosphere of the locations, but also the way the players approached those those games differently. Yeah, well, I mean, Philadelphia is just, um, we know the passion, passion of the Philly fans. But this is really like, kind of a, a next level of it because you have the postseason, uh, you have, you know, the sense of understanding that they are the 10th man, right? They, they're embracing this in ways that has shown a lot of sort of diversity of their approaches, just like with Trey Turner, he's got off to that slow start and they, they gave him a standing ovation in support. You know, it wasn't because he was playing well, they gave him a standing ovation, like, hey, turn it around. Uh, that That's shown another dimension to Philly fans that I think had been there, but just – on the public scale, you didn't really see that a lot. And uh, and now you're you're watching the impact of how loud they are. I mean, I was in the first game one and two. It's like you couldn't hear anything. Um, I mean, it was so absolutely deafening in there and just how well they um, supported their team and how the players feed it off that. I think a guy like Bryce Harper really feeds off of it. And um, so they know they're, they're consequential. So I think when you look at changing venues, going to Arizona now, well, you don't, of course, you don't have that Philly fan extra. You um, you saw that it was different. And uh, part of it was this, the Diamondbacks pitchers executed really well. Uh, they were home. They didn't exactly light up the scoreboard offensively, but they, they did just enough to get the win. So it's a, it's a little reset uh, for the Phillies to go from like, you know, this adulation and this like loud environment supporting them wholeheartedly in stentorian voice to another environment where it's like kind of quiet 
and now they're you know they're batting first, so to speak. So it's um, it's something that players have to adjust to quickly to make sure you kind of maintain your level of play. You know, you talked about adjustment. This year, more than any other, probably has been a lot of adjustment because of the rule changes. The frustration for Phillies fans right now is the lack of adjustment by Craig Kimball. He seems to not have adjusted to the pitch, pitch clock, and he has not seemed to have adjusted to runners on base. What have, what have you seen from the way that Craig Kimbrell is approaching this, and how do the players – what's it like to be a player behind a pitcher who's doing some of the things that Craig Kimbrell is doing? Well, Kimbrell is a player that is – he's had an incredible career, right? And I think he's done it a certain way. Uh, he virtualistically, right? He's done it a certain way. Uh, he's a two-pitch pitcher. He attacks. He has this, you know, hang the arm thing. So he has a lot of routines. A lot of players do. Like, they kind of go about their business. I think he's remained rigid in those routines. It's given him a lot of success. He's probably one of the greatest strikeout pitchers of all time. So it's hard to argue. Plus, he's had a really good year. You know, there's times in the last couple of years, like, ah, is he on the kind of downside? But he's got the strikeout numbers right back where it's been. And uh, it saved out some games for the Phillies. But yes, he's still within that that sort of style of, of uh, his preparation and his routine is like he's sticking to it. And so you see him throw a lot of baseballs out, right? He doesn't like the ball. He, he's like, <laughs> you know, he's very particular about a lot of stuff and the clock's meanwhile ticking. Uh, yeah, so I think there's some pitchers and hitters that um, were more able to adjust uh, quickly to the rules changes than others. Some are just more wed. I mean, Aaron Nola had a lot of trouble with the pitch clock and um, you know, one tidbit I thought was fascinating that he was so worried about the clock. He started to, you know, he started turning to look at the clock all the time, you know, and it's because there's, there's two of them right behind. And, you know, to the point where he's, you know, he started angling off and closing himself off, you know, physically. So I think you realize that some of that stuff has a physical manifestation, which is why there's pitchers that are concerned about changing too much, right? Because they think it's going to have that impact. Uh, but yes, you have to hold runners, especially against the Diamondbacks. But <laughs> you have to hold runners uh, to a certain degree uh, in certain situations. You have to at least have that in your in your repertoire to be able to shut them down with a slide step or something different. Uh, but Kimbrel, look, his job is to get outs, and a lot of times they don't even they let the runner steal the base, and they just get the out, and then it's, that's that. But uh, the more you play in these close games with teams like the Diamondbacks, that stolen base is could be the difference between a win and a loss. Despite the fact they lost yesterday, they still trailed at the end of three total innings throughout the playoffs. Uh, it, their starting pitching has been better than anybody could have hoped for. I mean, you've got Ranger Suarez at a .94 over his last eight postseason starts. You've got Wheeler and, and Nola, who, like you said, Nola figured out. Jeff and I had talked about it a lot on the show. Will Nola figure it out? He seems to have figured it out. Today, we've got Christopher Sanchez going. Uh, talk about what we've gotten out of the pitching staff that's been able to back up what we've got with the hitters that's gotten so much attention. The Phillies have gotten everything they could possibly even ask for their from their pitching. I mean, first of all, Suarez, two starts, uh, you know, shutting down the Braves. I mean, just really incredible performance. And you think of him as a guy that they were not even sure they were announcing yet. I mean, they might have known certainly more than before they announced it, but it was like he was that swing guy, right? It wasn't like mm -hmm. Nola, Wheeler, Suarez, right? Now you have to say Nola, you know, Wheeler, Nola. So you just, Suarez just rolls off your tongue now. 
that wasn't necessarily how the playoffs started. Uh, but he's just been incredible. So their starters have been incredible, and they've been that way. It's really been their asset all year. I mean, when you trade for Michael Lorenzen, who's an all-star, who throws a no-hitter in his first home start, and he's like a kind of a sixth starter, that just tells you how deep they are in this um, in this postseason. So very good pitching. And the starters, what they do is they, if they go deep enough, they hand the ball off into the bullpen where they're best set up to be successful. That's the, that's the key of also having good starters because they go deep enough and you're like, okay, now I'll take you out strategically for this matchup, not because you're getting knocked around like a pinball machine. I think that's what these starters have given the Phillies as well. It's starting and putting the, keeping the team in the game and then also having the bullpen be at its best. Uh, so they've been exceptional. I think they're the sort of, you know, all-star MVP slash of the Phillies postseason, even with Harper's and Castellanos' and the big bats. The pitchers have really allowed it to keep uh, where the leads have been able to get stretched because they keep putting up zeros. You know, we have we have a guy on this team who played for the Cubs and played for the Phillies, like you. He's batting leadoff, and we shake our heads here and sit there and go, "How is a guy that's batting one eighty successful in the leadoff slot?" What have you seen about about Schwarber, and what makes him so different and so special? that a guy who is not going to steal a base, who's not going to bat 200, is somehow motivating this team and making it work? Well, you know, I asked that very question of Rob Thompson, like, I think two or three days ago, uh, because I asked him, I was like, well, what have you learned about what is a prototypical leadoff hitter uh, against sort of what you knew all those years when you were coaching and coming up with the Yankees and all these – and um, – he said, well, it's no longer about speed and stealing bases. And he said, those are nice, uh, but it's really about getting on base and, and, and getting in a position to score. And Schwarber does that. You know, yeah, he might have hit 197 or whatever, but he's on base percentage is near 350. Uh, he's on base. And by the way, with him on base, that means he's circling the bases. So you're getting um, a quick strike right out of the gate. First batter, you know, home run. You're up one nothing. I mean, that's just Swarber. So you're gonna. It comes with strikeouts. It comes with, you know, a lot of other stuff. He's not gonna play defense. He's gonna be in the DH position. Uh, that's the big reason. That was a big deal that Harper was able to take first base because it gave them more versatility in the outfield. Um, but yeah, so Swarber in this modern game, so to speak. Yeah, he's. You just want guys that are good hitters that get on base now. Not so much they necessarily have to steal it. And to our point earlier, you see a lot of pitchers who just ignore the base runners for a while until they absolutely have to pay attention. So they're not even worried about guys taking second base anymore because they're just trying to get the hitter out and trying to get a Schwarber out is a tall order because even if he's hitting 197, that, that hit's going over the wall and you still have to make your pitches because he's got such good discipline at the plate. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you have loved to play in an era when the pitchers don't care if you're going to try to steal? Oh yeah, it would have been fun, uh, especially with these these guys getting running starts because they literally know how based on how the pitcher comes set that they're going home. I mean, it's it's remarkable. Anybody can still. I mean, we talked to Christian Walker of the D-backs, and he's you know he had like eleven stolen bases. He, I don't think he got caught. There's something really remarkable. He's like, I'm not even a base stealer, but they give me all this information, and it's so clear he's going home. I'm getting running starts, so dude, I can steal thirty. You know. So he um, he's really um, an example of the stolen bases for everyone now. It's just situationally when you use it, 
but I don't think you can stop anyone from stealing. I mean, it's just it's that hard unless the pitcher is 100% committed to doing it because most of these stolen bases now are off the pitcher. I want to ask you about lineup construction. Uh, sometimes we've seen Thompson flip Harper, depending on whether it's a lefty or righty from the three, four spot. But in the, in the game yesterday, Harper saw 18 pitches, 17 of them were balls. Uh, Alec Bones obviously struggled a little bit behind him in the playoffs. Would you move the lineup around? Would you leave it where it is? You've had Castellanos who's played well, Turner, you know, are you a, creature of comfort guy leave them where they are or do you look to make a move if, i mean it's, if it's working and you certainly have to define working uh we asked rob thompson this a lot about castellanos because you know a guy hits four home runs in two days you're like why is he hitting seventh right that's the natural question but he's like but you also have to know the personalities of your players where if you disrupt them and put them in places that you know change too much that might actually work against you it's like you said with Kimbrell, like, okay, yeah, you could make him move faster and pitch and not change all the baseballs. But then who is he? Is he still Craig Kimbrell? I mean, do you want Kimbrell holding runners and then have a nine ERA? So it's like, that's the, that's how, how fickle the players are and how sort of uh, insecure it is about their role. So I think in the postseason, you see Rob Thompson sticking to Castellanos. They're sticking to the lineup more. If it was a regular season and you're looking for offense, you might have moved them. But right now, he was just like, I don't want to mess with it. But I think if he, you know, has another day, he kind of struck out a few times yesterday, you know, maybe today doesn't go as well. You know, maybe he, he reconsidered that. Uh, but I think the Diamondbacks are going to have to do more than have one really good pitch, well-pitched start to convince the Phillies to kind of change their whole lineup. Um, they have to shut them down for, you know, more than, uh, you know, one outing. And then we'll see. You know, these playoffs and these four teams seem to have four managers that, that are really chess guys. I mean, the, the, we, we are lucky enough to now have strategists as, as the four managers. How enjoyable is it for you to watch these managers work in the way that they are? Oh, I love it. I mean, I'm having a great time really getting to know these managers in, in these contexts. I mean, I certainly knew them, but now I really know like how they manage style-wise. I see it every day. Did a lot of Astros games, a lot of Rangers games, uh, a lot of Phillies and D-backs. So they're all very familiar. And uh, it is. It's fun. They're, they're, they're tactical. Uh, there's a lot of psychology. There's a lot of uh, attention to, like, the personnel, like who they are as people. Uh, Tori Lovello is one of the best. He, he models himself after Terry Francona. Just a style of, like, understanding who the players are. He's very sensitive to their, um, you know, where they are emotionally. He's just in tune. And I think that's true for all these managers. Uh, that, that's what's really cool about it. Because there was a period where all these veteran managers were kind of like on the outs. You know, they're like, oh, these old heads, they don't know. They're just like, you know, what do they know? We could, we could calculate it, you know, using an algorithm and that's it. That's how you run a bullpen. But then you find out like, oh, this guy's having a tough time because, you know, he's, he's got a family member who's sick or this person's don't, you know. Then you start to realize like it's managing people. That's just as much, just as important. I mean, yeah, yeah, you have to know your X's and O's, but uh, these, these, this wave of managers who are the guys that are on the sidelines for a while are now back in the fray, and their skill sets are very, uh, very much appreciated now. And it's not only that; they're winning under that format and that approach. So, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed it because they're they're very tactical, and uh, they're thinking about things ten steps ahead.
you know, you talk about the managers out West, uh, it, it's tied now in the ALCS. Uh, your thoughts on uh, it basically being a three-game series now between Houston and Texas. Jeff is very interested from a prior life bet, but your thoughts <laughs> on how the Houston and Texas is going right now. I mean, it's it's sort of fitting the Houston narrative. That's the thing that probably concerning for the Rangers. All right, so Houston at home this year, uh, they were, what, 39 and 42. Uh, terrible That's a, as a home team. But on the road, they were 51 and 30. So, you know, I said right away, I said it doesn't matter. I know they got wiped out at home, but they're, they're just a good road team this year for whatever reason. And Dusty said that a, a number of times. So I just think you just, you know, it's, it's fun to know that they know their team and they know like how to, how to tap it. So I look at the series as like, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I said, you know, you see seven, but you also see like something really majestic happening <laughs> and what that is. I don't know, but both these managers might pull all the stops out. Uh, every trick they have in their book, uh, we're going to see on display. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised seeing Dusty bring cigars out to the mound during a mound visit or something, you know, I mean, you know, so <laughs> a- anything is possible, but uh, they, they've seen it all. And, I keep telling Dusty every time I see him, please write a book because you just have to document everything and all the things you think about because it's it's vast. You know, you've talked about your admiration from Dusty, for Dusty in the past. What What is it like for you as a guy who's announcing right now? You're not announcing those games, but to to announce somebody that you have such admiration for. Well, I see it as an honor because I think I try to take the time to tell the stories as much as possible. And, um, and look, in radio, you don't really have as much time because you really have to describe the action and, and because people you know can't see it in theory. Uh, but but I think you still have moments to contextualize things. And uh, and that's the fact that I get to sit with them before the game and talk to them. You know, I think that I still learn a lot of new information about all these figures in a way that's relevant to their task at hand and see them in real time really making decisions. And all I come away with just being more impressed with how they go about their business, you know, just the, the attention to detail about the people that they're in charge of. I mean, that's, that impresses me. Uh, like James Mims, take him. He's, he's a security guard at Dodger stadium, been there forever. And Dusty always comes up there and talks to him before. And, you know, he's like, you know, the godfather of his son and all, you know, they're just like, you just find out all these things that have maybe sometimes nothing to do with what's happening on the field. Uh, Bochi is always a fun one too, because I played for the Rangers and, um, a lot of the, the staff, they're still there. And I get to see him in that environment where I'd spoken to him many times over the past few years when he was retired and you could see it like percolating that he was, he's getting a little bored or, you know, he's starting to, <laughs> and, uh, and I love to see these guys with institutional knowledge walk off the couch and be in the ALCS. Like, I love that because as much as I, respect the wave of managers that came in that are younger guys like Craig Council or, you know, AJ Hintz or whoever it is, these guys of my generation, a lot of those guys really didn't have a lot of experience going in. And, uh, and that was a little bit, that was frustrating on one level because Dusty Baker, uh, you know, that was always over, held over his head until he had vast, you know, amounts of experience, but there was a lot of managerial candidates that didn't get shots because they were told they didn't have the experience. And then, then all of a sudden you have this wave of kind of lateral, uh, as I call it, the special assistants that got laterally moved into managerial chairs with very little experience at all. And that wave took on for a long time. And there was many, many managers that 
um, got opportunities and, and some, you know, did really well, whether it's Mike Matheny or Robin Ventura or Walt Weiss or whoever. And, uh, but now it's kind of reset because yeah, that was nice to get these like freshly retired players, but now you kind of realize that it is important to also respect that, that institutional experience has a lot of weight. Doug Glanville, we always appreciate your insight on baseball, on life, on everything else. Look forward to the rest of your call and then seeing you in the studio on the World Series. Thanks so much, man. All right. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Welcome back to the show, World Series champion Greg Dobbs. Greg, uh, middle of the playoffs, who better to get to talk to about somebody who's lived through it all here. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're fantastic. It's the middle of red October. We're, we're living the dream with fans going crazy again. Uh, it's 15 year anniversary since you were playing in the middle of it. What's this mean to you all to watch? Uh, oh man, it brings back so many memories. Um, and it last year, this year, um, it's funny how the text chains just like from, you know, Jimmy to chase to Shane to Howie, um, like we're all like, we're all just madly texting each other and talking to each other. And, you know, Jimmy's on TBS, right? Big time. You're know, looking all good. Stiffy with the little, he's got this little thing going here. I'm not so sure about that. We're going to talk about the, the growth he's got here. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's just, how can you not be excited? You know, um, red October, you, you're, you're rocking the red Philly sweater right there. I see the hoodie. Yes. Um, it's as, as, as alumni, we could not be more proud of the organization, could not be happier for the city, for the fans. Uh, and, and for this, this team, I mean, let's talk about this team. Uh, they are, they are, they remind me, and I think a lot of us, they remind me of, of our teams, you know, in just how dangerous and potent and uh, how, how they would take advantage of situations. Right. And they would, they, they, they do such a good job of, of creating momentum and riding momentum. And, you know, I look back at, at our years, you know, seven, eight, nine, and 10, but eight, especially when we won it nine, when we went back and, and uh, played against the, the Yankees, it was all about momentum. You know, we were obviously we were an incredible club, but but we had momentum, and we and we ran that momentum, you know, through the end of September, August, September into October. And this team is no different. It, they just feel like it, they're a freight train, and they just they won't be stopped, and they can't be stopped. It is. I can only imagine how it is there on the ground in the city. Um, it has to be very reminiscent of of those great years when I was, you know, I, I was a part of those teams and. And honored and humbled to be there. It's great, man. I, I'm so excited. You know, you, you, you talked about something at the beginning of this that we could talk about the talent of this team because there's tons of it. The amazing thing to me is you're talking about how you guys from 2008 are all sitting there texting each other. And the thing that made that team special, and I think the thing that makes this team special, in addition to the talent, is that they really seem to like each other. 
they seem to be having a really good time celebrating, just being together, talking. You know, we read an article today about how, how they, they get together for hitters meetings and, and have these discussions. What is it about and how important is it for a team to get along the way you guys did and the, and the way they seem to get along? And how important is it to winning? I think it is the biggest determinant aside from talent um, and the probably most unquantifiable metric that you will never see on a statistic, uh, on a statistical sheet uh, or, or, or somehow measured. Um, having that kind of camaraderie, uh, having knowing that you're going to the stadium to Citizens Bank every day and you're going to be with your band of brothers um, – there's no better feeling. And this team, and to re- going back to our, our teams, that was us, right? We were, we were just a very tight-knit group. Um, we enjoyed immensely being around each other. We enjoyed pushing each other to, you know, to, to, to limits that we, we had no idea that we could attain. Um, we, we enjoyed keeping each other in check. We enjoyed, you know, ribbing each other and, and getting, you know, getting on each other, right. And policing each other. Um, we realized, you know, we, we, we won, we won as a team. We lost as a team. Uh, this, this club, you can, you just, you see it, you sense, you sensed it last year. And I would, I would even go into 2021 when it was beginning to be built and formed, you know, by Mr. Middleton, uh, and the rest of the, uh, you know, and, and our, our, our front office, Dombrowski and everybody else, like, you you could see that they were trying to put those pieces together and those pieces are so crucial. Um, you know, it is, you feel very fortunate when you're part of a club like that, when, when, when you're part of a team that where everybody is pulling from the same rope, right. And you want to do everything together when you're going out on the road, um, for seven, 11, 14 days, right. You're doing things together as a group, right. You're going to dinners, you're, going out to breakfasts or lunches or whatever it may be. Um, it's, it's, it's just, it's a special thing. And you realize, you know, for me, having played for four separate teams, I, I never had that with any of the other three teams that I played for. I had that in Philly and I realized how special it was. Um, and I, I, it directly correlates to winning. There is no question in my mind, having experience now watching this team have that same sort of mojo and that same personality that you, there is, you know, it, there's, it, it's a science, but it's getting personalities together in a clubhouse that, that mesh and match, um, and, and can pick each other up and, and can challenge each other. Uh, it, it is, that is a special thing. And there is so much power and force behind that. It's, uh, it is a key ingredient to winning. And if you can get that mixture, right. Um, and you can keep that mixture together. You can you can be successful for for quite a long time. We had that in you know seven, eight, nine, ten, going into eleven. This team has that that same those same characteristics, the same personalities. You know, um, you just look at the way they celebrate, right? I mean, the way they celebrate, like it's just rem- like everybody is so happy for one another, right? You can just you, you can feel it and sense it and 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 taste it. Um, and you just look on their faces, you know, how genuine it all is and how happy they are for one another, not just not themselves, but for one another. Um, very selfless team. And, it, you know, we were I would like to think that, you know, on our teams there, uh, 2007-10, we were very selfless as well. And I, I think uh, this team has that in spades. And, and it's a main reason why. And I think if you ask any of them in a the clubhouse, they would agree. 
It's one of the main components and reasons why they have been so successful. You know, we talk about the fun they have together and how much they enjoy. Um, they were doing the stories about the World Series team and, and yours had a quote about believing uh, and how 2007 made you believe for 2008 and 2009. It's one thing to want it. It's another thing to do it in accomplishment in the manner we did. Was last year that for this team? Do, do you think they came back? with that confidence, knowing that they can do it after the run they had last year, that we're seeing what we are in this postseason. Absolutely. I, I, that is a, that is spot on. Um, that's a great observation. The, there is no substitute for experience, right? I mean, you can have a great team on paper. You can have a team full of all-stars, but if they haven't been through the fire and they haven't been, you know, in the pressure cooker, that is the postseason getting to the World Series, whether you win or lose, right? Just being there in that moment, that teaches you things. You learn a lot. You learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about one another. And then it gives you this uh, this sense of accomplishment and this sense of eagerness for, to get back. And, and, and further, it teaches you what it takes to get back. And that, like, you can't, there's no substitute, right? To, to be able to understand that in a 162 game season, there's going to be those ups and downs and how to manage those as a team and individually having gone through it, getting yourself through the dog days of summer, you know, July, August into September, knowing that, you know, okay, here's, here's what we have done. There's, here's this body of work, right? It's like when you, when you, when you read a book or you go play a golf course, you remember certain things, right? You remember a, a chapter here or there when you go out and you play golf. You you remember, oh, I remember this hole. I remember that. And I remember what I did and what I should have done or what I didn't do. Same thing when you have a team like this. So 2022 being very reminiscent of, of 2007, except we didn't get there, right? In 2007, we ran into Colorado, who was just an absolute buzzsaw. Um, yet, it gave us that confidence. It gave us the... Um, you know, the wherewithal to come into next spring training going, guys, we got like, we can do this. You know, we, maybe we, we fell short, fine, no problem, but same group, same group of guys. Okay. And we've all dedicated ourselves this off season to get better. No reason why we can't do it again. You, you build on that. And, and I think that I'll take that back to momentum, right? I look at, you know, momentum obviously can go in, in, in multiple stages for multiple lengths, but our momentum for our team truly started in 2007, right? When we had that epic comeback and then we get into the, into the playoffs and no one gave us a shot. That springboarded us and gave us that initial inertia and momentum into 2008, into nine, into 10, into 11. Same thing for this club, you know, last year. It, it you, you ride that. It just, it gives you a sense of confidence and a belief that we've been here before. We know what we need to do. We're going to overcome because we've done it before. We're proven. We, we know we can do it. Let's just let's go out and, and, and play and let's 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 build on the successes of the past. You know, from the things you're talking about and the things that we've seen with this team, the mental side of this means so important, so much to the game. As somebody who was on the field listening and looking up at the fans, when you saw how Trey Turner started the season and what happened with the fans and his response to it. Were you surprised? What was your reaction to? Um, I, you know, I'll, I'll go back to to bomb, right? I mean, we can we can go back to Alec as well, and sort of um, the reaction there and the response from the play. Like, I, I at first, 
at first, honestly, I, I, I was like, not, not surprised in the fact of how the fans react. Right. Because we know that we listen, Philly, Philly's passionate. They're, they're passionate than, than any other fan base out there. That's what makes them incredible. They expect a lot. They expect a lot out of their athletes and there's nothing wrong with that. Heavy lies the crown. And we, as athletes, we accept it. Right. Um, and so at first, the the reactions from athletes will differ right like um some will be a little more outspoken uh some will internalize and and just grit and bear it no problem listen this is a game of personalities right and i i for one would never want to uh stymie you know if i was a general manager and owner i'd never want to stymie my players personalities that's what makes them unique and makes them special um but the you know, the reversal of everything, right? Like, it, it, listen, motivation comes in so many different forms, and sometimes it takes you know half a million, million, million and a half fan base to be like, "Hey, you're playing like a bum right now," you know? Hey, let's go pick it up, um, to really just give you that kick and that push. And the players understand that the fans are only saying that because they care, because they want to win. They want the best out of you. And that's their way of expressing it. When you understand that you, you don't take it, you don't take it personal. Like, of course we're out there trying to do our best, right? Every day, everybody goes through slumps, right? It's Philly's unique way of just sort of, Hey, tapping the, the player on the shoulder, whoever they may be, the athlete, and just like, Hey, let's go pick it up. Okay. Cause we want to be back in red October. Right. Don't you? That's why we signed you here. So let's go. They're saying the same thing that we tell ourselves and that we're telling each other in the clubhouse. Um, I, and I, I commend, I, I commend both sides. I, I, I commend our fan base. I commend the players for like truly how they've interacted and how they've sort of, it's, hasn't it just, it's brought everybody together even more, right? Where the, it could it easily, it could have gone the other way, right? It, it could have got ugly, could have got nasty. Fans could have turned big time, right? Player just goes into you know goes into a nosedive because they can't handle it, right? It's too much pressure, whatever it may be. You know, Trey, Bomb, anybody else, um, they didn't, right? They owned it. They 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 in their own way, um, and it brought everybody closer together. And now, I mean, listen, you see that stadium, and you see one what these players, you know, have done and how they've uh, performed. Um, and you see just, you know, you see the fans and, you know, their emotional response to these guys. It's, it's, it's incredible. And it's, it's something that makes, you know, Philly so unique and so special, which is a reason why so many guys want to play there. Talk about the flip side of it, how intimidating it is for, for guys to come in. I mean, Phillies are 6-0 and at the bank in the postseason. You saw in the Brave series, they took the comments that Strider had made and the fans made it into a chant. Uh, the comments Arcia, quote, didn't think would get out of the locker room that became motivation in the stadium. And you continue to see, you know, it's funny, the players have to keep reminding people that they're not pandering because they're saying how much they're enjoying the relationship and the atmosphere going to Xfinity after the games, being a part of the, the fan base during it. Talk about what it's like for the flip side coming in here, the opponents trying to play in that atmosphere. So I'll, I'll start with this, you know, I, after 2000, you know, 2010, uh, my last season, I signed with the Marlins. Okay. And I just personal experience, right? Like, yeah, I'm not shy on, uh, I got thick skin. Uh, I came into, I came into Philly as a Marlin 
my first at bat, I got booed because I'm wearing I'm I'm wearing the other jersey, right? Like, and I'll never forget. And but this is why I love Philly. Like this is this is this is why I wish I would have played my entire career in Philly. Was um, I'm sitting there and I get announced and Chooch is catching and, and Chooch like stands up and actually we just kind of he was standing already and I just kind of like hey Chooch how we doing? And he's like Dauber. Uh and the, and then the booze start and he's like damn Dauber, that's messed up and i'm like it's okay it's okay like you know and but but okay but but it motivated me right like and and like i was saying before there's two ways it can go right like guys will either they'll crumble under it or it will motivate them and be like no 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 no, no, you got this wrong um for for opposing players coming in um I'll, i'll never forget you know against tampa and we had almost 50,000 people in chorus, Eva, you know, longer Evan, which I love Elo. Love you. Love you to death, brother. Uh, you're an absolute stud. Um, and, and he's still back. doing it and he's back. And he's still doing it. And he's back and he's back. Right. Right. I mean, just I, the guy is just a freaking machine. Uh, I, my body's falling apart. He's still doing it. Um, it, it, it is, it is one of the most intimidating uh, environments I think you can come into in all of sport. Um, and especially in the postseason. like it, they, you, you, you do not want to give the opposing, you don't want to give the Phillies as an opposing team or the fan base, any reason to dislike you even more because they already can't stand you. They already hate you, right? They hate your entire existence. They want to wipe you off the face of the earth. Um, and, and, and to, you know, to say things and, and, but that's what makes, Again, that's what builds and makes Philadelphia um, such an incredible sports town is the fact that the fans listen. That happens in L.A., okay, where I live and where I grew up. That happens in L.A. I mean, people yawn through the game. They're like, yeah, so what? Who cares? They're looking at their TikTok and their Instagram. And they're like, yeah, what are these influencers doing? Okay, oh, there's a game going on. Great. They could care less, okay? They're on freaking cruise control. Um, Philly's different. They They read. They they listen to the hardest sports, right? They they are very educated because um, they want to be, and they want to use it to their advantage. I, I, well, I've said it all the time. It's the tenth man, okay? It is the greatest tenth man in all of baseball in all sport is our fans in our ballpark, especially in in the postseason. You just you've got to be careful. You got you're coming into hostile territory as it should be, okay? As it should be. This is the playoffs. I mean, this this is everything, right? This is what everybody works their entire lives for. So you got to understand when you're coming into Philly as an opponent, you better mind your P's and Q's, Buster, because you slip up, just like you said, with Arcia, with Strider, like you're going to hear it. And you're going to hear it until you're on the plane back headed to Atlanta uh, or to Milwaukee or wherever. And then you're going to hear it and see it in your dreams and your sleep during the entire offseason. And it's not just a fan. Like the thing that always surprises me is, you know, you guys are top of the line athletes, best at your craft. It doesn't seem like you need motivation at this point. You you want to win. Bryce Harper doesn't seem to be the guy that needs motivation. But Arcia's comments, everybody knew that the second he said it, he had poked a bear that was already awake. And, and Harper seemed to be ultra-motivated to the point that he rocketed those two home runs and stopped on his way around second base. I, I mean, 
if if the stair isn't the most or one of the top two or three most iconic moments in all of Philadelphia sports history, I don't know what it is. Okay. I'll go take a long walk off a short pier because that was incredible. Um, you know, players get motivated in different ways and, and players have certain innate motivations within them. Um, having had the wonderful opportunity to play and be a teammate with Bryce, the, my last season in, in Washington, um, I, you know, the guy is absolutely driven. He is laser focused. Um, he is ultra motivated, but he does it in a very, he does it, he does it stoically. Okay. He's, 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 he's stoic. He's, you know, like, like Marcus Aurelius, right? When you read about stoicism, he is that stoic, like Marcus Aurelius leader, right? Who will lead by example and by his actions. But he's all, but, but I mean, he's listening. He is ultra aware of everything. And even a guy like that, you, you give a little poke, you take a little dig, like he, they, they find that next, they find that next notch, that next level of, um, of focus, um, and intensity. And, um, you know, some, some guys, some guys, you know, it, some guys, it could take them to the stratosphere, right? Some guys, yes, we're all motivated as athletes, right? Um, and, and we usually we all have the same motivation, right? It, which is is to win and to do whatever it takes to win. But there's there's something about just a little bit of extra external um, prodding, right? That it, whether it's something uh, uh, someone else says on the other side, it just it, it makes you focus just a little bit more. And even if it's just one percent more, or if it's ten percent more, it's more, and that's meaningful. And then when you layer that on top of one of the best players, if not the best player of this current generation, our time, right. And may go down as one of the best in all of, in, in Philadelphia Phillies history, Bryce Harper, you, you give him any more reason to lock in and to go from, you know, his focus being here to now just to there, watch out. Like you don't want to do that. You, you want him to stay, you want him to stay in hibernation. You don't want to poke him. So, you know, to your point, it, everybody uses motivation in different ways and, uh, this club is, uh, has, has used it, you know, extraordinarily <laughs> over the last two years of the 2008, 2010 Phillies. Was there anybody on the, any of your teammates that were the guy that you just didn't poke that bear? And, and do you have any good stories about one of those bears being poked? He's thinking, <laughs> we, know Jimmy, we know Jimmy was the guy who poked the bear. But <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy poked everybody. Jimmy poked everybody, and then, then poked himself. You know, like the, the little keeper elf. Like, uh, I love my shortstop. God, I love Jimmy. Um, you know what? J Dub, Jason Worth. Um, J Dub was again sort of that quiet, stoic. Uh, had that sort of a personality, and I got to know him you know, really well there's seven and eight, right. When we were, we both came over, we're on the bench together. We're, you know, we're making up the, you know, the 23rd, 24th and 25th spots on that roster filling in when we needed to. Um, and as I watched J-Dub's career and trajectory take off, um, he was someone who was hyper aware like Harper and others. Um, J-Dub was very hyper aware of what was going on, what was being said. 
who was doing what uh, on the other side or, or what, or maybe even, you know, in the press. Uh, and, uh, I'll rem- I remember in, uh, in 2009, uh, I believe we were in Washington and I think it was a reporter had said something and we're just before the half we're just before the all-star break, I believe. I may be wrong, but on the timing, but um, J Dub, you know, J Dub had now really solidified himself and put him on the map, right? Like now he's a guy, uh, and but now he was getting that sort of attention and those arrows and those quivers being kind of thrown at him, right? People trying to pick him apart. And I remember, uh, in, in that season, he he took some things to heart, and um, and and he got poked. And from then on, through the rest of that season, um, he was a man. On, he was a man on a mission, and 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 we we all saw it. You know, even, you know, Raul and I talked about it. Ibanez, who Raul is another one of those guys that we just we all keep in touch, right? And we're all talking about this team and and our teams, and you know, and just how you know how happy we are and how excited we are for this team, the organization. And Raul and I actually had a conversation about it too in, in two thousand nine. Um, where we were just kind of both sitting back and we're like, J-Dub's taking it. He's taking it to another level, right? You could just see it. There was just, he may have been at a level of like seven, seven and a half, but he just, he's like, he just cranked it up to eight, eight and a half, almost nine. And you saw it and he didn't say anything. Didn't say anything. Didn't make an announcement, but you saw it. Um, J-Dub was one where you just, you did not, you did not want to poke the bear. Not with J-Dub. All right. Well, we, we know you got stuff to do before we let, let you go, though. I got two more questions. Well, it's one question, and then I want a prediction. Um, can you explain Kyle Schwarber? Because for, for, for all of us, we sit there and go, and, and I'm old school baseball. You know that. You have a guy batting 180 who strikes out over 200 times, but seems to motivate this team and do something that nobody's ever done before. Like, can somebody who actually played the game explain this to us? <laughs> I can try. Uh, <laughs> you're gonna get my best effort. Uh, he's, you know, he's an, he's an anomaly. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know, I, in, in the best sense of the word, the best way, like he is, He's, I guess you could look at it two ways. He's either incredibly efficient or incredibly inefficient, but I like to say efficient. <laughs> um, I'm going to go on the efficient side. Um, you know, listen, f- to have a lead, my, our, our son and I, Brady, who's, who's 13, um, we've got a nickname for him, uh, and it's Wreck It Ralph. You know, it, Schwarber is for us is Wreck It Ralph, right? I'm going to wreck it because he does, he just mm-hmm. wrecks it. Right. He's got that trot, you know, and he kind of looks like the Wreck It Ralph character, right? Like big old forearms, right? It's just like, rawr. um, he, uh, it, I, it reminds me, aside from the average and the stolen bases, it reminds me, <laughs> and playing shortstop, it reminds me of Jimmy's 2007 <laughs> campaign, you know, <laughs> except in a completely different way. Okay. Exactly but, for some reason, but completely different. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Which will make sense to everybody. Um, he, uh, to set the tone and to be able to set the tone 
right from either the very first pitch or the very first at bat and know that when you come back around the lineup to the one spot, it's not like, uh, you know, okay, guy with some speeds and tools may lay down a bunt, small ball. They want, he wants to get on base, get the ball on the ground. Okay, fine. Got it. It's been that way for millennia, right? That's been the prototypical number one hitter. Right. He's rewriting. He's rewriting. He truly is, I believe, rewriting the playbook on what a number one hitter can, should, and could be, right? Is a guy who, yeah, okay. Maybe one year he hits 190, 200. Maybe another year he hits, you know, 250, 260, 270. But with, in, in, in the instant of a blink of an eye or someone taking a breath, like the other night, he can jump on a first pitch and hit it at almost 118 mile an hour exit velocity over the fence. And it's one, nothing. Are you kidding me? Jimmy did that. uh, I mean, in 2007, it was, I'd never seen anything like it. I'm witnessing. I think we're all witnessing that again, minus everything I've already said. Um, the, the differences it's, yeah, it's uncommon. Um, it's not prototypical, but you know what? It freaking works. And that's the bottom line. It freaking works. He is such he's such an amazing catalyst for the team. He truly is, right? And mm-hmm. um and you can't you can't you can't sleep on the number you can't sleep on the leadoff guy. You can't, right? Right. Um I I I I, lo- I love what he's done. I love him in the leadoff spot. Um listen. Take the take the strikeouts. Take this that. Like, is does he set the tone? He does. And no matter if he's zero for his first three or he's two for his first three, uh, every time he comes up, you know the opposition is going. Oh god, dang it! Like, man, could we just we should have ended it? I wish we would have closed out that inning with the eight or nine hole hitter, right? Because oh boy, here we go again. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. Uh, it's a. It's been a stroke of genius. It truly has by by management and by the coaching staff. To put them there. All right. So, is it is this team going to have the first parade since yours? I don't see how they don't. I don't, and and, and I, I I I hope they do. I, I you know all of us. You know, I know I, I'm speaking on behalf of 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 J Roll and Shane and and Howie, um, you know, and Chooch uh, and J Dub. Like I, you know, we we want this team to do it so bad. Um, you know, we, we want another parade in, in Philadelphia. Um, we want that trophy back in, with our organization in Citizens Bank Park. Um, I, I don't see, I don't see how they don't. Um, we, we want it just as bad as, as they do. Um, and, and as our fans, uh, and as our, as our fans do, uh, uh, it would be, it would be amazing. They're so deserving. They really are. Um, and it, it, you know the, the the momentum seems to be on our side, it, and it has been. And and if we continue to keep the momentum on our side, uh, and we you know continue to draw first blood and take no prisoners, I think we'll see a parade this year. Uh, we hope they get there. We hope you get to Philly to see some of it, and we keep talking to you. And uh, we appreciate all the fun stories and, and taking us back to the last time and helping us look at this time. Greg Dobbs, thanks so much for always being there for us. Uh, you guys are the best. Go Phils. Talking to Greg Dobbs and talking to Doug Glanville, I'm excited for game four tonight, Jeff. And the alumni of this 
this team is so impressive in, in how they continue to be part of and cover the organization and do different things with their lives. The most important thing, though, is I found a way, and the Phillies assisted, in having an entire show where you didn't get to talk about the sky falling because the Eagles are playing. I wasn't even going to talk but about the sky falling. How I was about gonna, that? I was going to talk about how they're wearing <laughs> Kelly Green. Jeff, it's my Kelly Green game on Sunday night. Oh, this is the game, huh? Yes, I've been did, Well, waiting. did you get your jersey in time? I already have Sarah. Oh, you had your old jersey. You didn't get old. another one? Because no. one got delivered to, to this particular household yesterday. So it seems like no coincidence that Fanatics got them out Wait, just in time for Sunday night. You're going to wear your son's jersey? No, I'm not going to wear it. It just the, happened the, to come. Oh, okay. Uh, no, I mean, look concerns after last week's loss but they're still five and one it is a tough stretch though that they start i said that we had these guests so that you didn't have time to talk about but the you sky still fall. gave me a minute and a half at the end no, no, i don't as, think as the your sports falling. therapist I, I i tried to get you off of this i actually and yet still you're going to squeeze it in at the end that you're going to be anxious about sunday night all right no worries then that's the last word thanks so much for joining us this week make sure to join us next friday night to help you start your weekend in style have a great one and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.